the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Jessica Stan to begin our Friday broadcast of Way of Grace. Standing is a very significant concept in the scriptures because our natural state, our natural disposition in our fallen state is not standing but fallen. We are all fallen by nature. Not only are we fallen, we are dead. That is our condition prior to experiencing the grace of God. We are dead. Sure, many of us have pondered the question, how would I like to be remembered when I'm gone? When we reach the end of our time here on earth, wouldn't it be great to look back and say with confidence, mission accomplished? You know, when you think about it, our salvation in Christ is really when the mission accomplished sign is first flashed. But there is so much more for us to do. Join us. We're in Acts chapter 3 as Pastor Jesse continues to show us what it really means to be a Christian. So we're in Acts chapter 3, and last week we were working through the whole concept of restitution as we have it over in verse 21, where the Apostle Peter, um, encouraging the Jews after having uh, indicted them for crucifying the Savior, the Incontrovertible evidence is in. They cannot deny it. They are under now compulsion to, to, to reckon with this, this, this great judgment. And before they fall apart, Peter calls upon them in verse 19 to repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Uh, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, we talked about the blessed refreshing of the gospel and the salvation of our souls and, and then he spoke about sending Jesus Christ, and we understood that as the sending of Christ through the gospel. Men and women come to know Christ personally through the preaching of the word and by the power of his spirit. Every believer hears the voice of Christ by the spirit through the preaching of the gospel. That is a personal salvation call. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. This is a radical introduction of the second person by the third person uh, at the behest of the first person that brings us to a saving knowledge of our great God and King. And then Peter started speaking to the uh, fact that heaven must acknowledge the crown rights of Jesus Christ. That's verse 21. And if you have our PowerPoint, can you pull that up? Um, If our PowerPoint is there, the first point there. Um, let's see, the promise of Abraham fulfilled in Christ to Israel. Uh, he sends Christ how? We dealt with that. Point number two, 
Restitution is what we were dealing with last week. We're going to build from there. We, uh, we raised the question, what is restitution? And you can see that the term means to fully restore and beyond. And I wrote it down on the board last week, two prepositions, apple and kata. And we dealt with those prepositions. And the root verb there, stasis, means to stand, to stand. To stand, And I shared with you last week that we as Christians uh, must understand the significance of standing. Standing is a very significant concept in the scriptures because our natural state, our natural disposition uh, in our fallen state is not standing, but fallen. We are all fallen by nature. Not only are we fallen, we are dead. That is our condition uh, prior to experiencing the grace of God. We are dead. Not only dead, fallen. Fallen means that we have violated God's law and have been separated from God. And now without the life of God, we are spiritually dead. The man or the woman that comes into a saving knowledge of God is first of all raised from the dead. Raised from the dead and made to stand, made to stand. That's what the idea of resurrection is. Anastasis is the Greek term for the resurrection. Stasis being our root word, ana being a preposition, which literally means again. And so resurrection simply means to stand what? Again, to stand again. And it implies that we had stood at one point in time. And we were standing in Adam before he fell. God made him upright. He was righteous. He was flawless, but he was not impeccable. It's a very important distinction between Adam one and the last Adam. He was flawless in that he was made righteous without sin, but he was culpable. He wasn't impeccable. He wasn't immutable. And so Adam and Eve obviously sinned. And when they sinned, their whole posterity sinned with them. So everything that comes out of the womb of uh, the natural man is sinful by nature. And we are spiritually dead. When you and I are introduced in a way of saving grace by the power of God, the first thing you experience is a resurrection in your soul. You are raised from the dead. John chapter 5, verse uh, 24, 25, Jesus said, no, 26 through 28, Jesus said, The hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall what? Live. And the idea is being raised from the dead. And the great graphic picture of that is Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10, where the prophet was told by God, to speak to these dry bones that they may live. And when we look at the picture, the vivid description of their response by the power of God is that they stood upon their feet. They didn't do anything. They simply stood because the standing denotes a posture of life. It denotes not only a posture of life, but a posture of dignity. Because in our fallen state, we become like the animals. We are bowed down. We are groveling at the ground. And so Solomon said in Ecclesiastes around chapter 8 or so, Oh, that man might know his estate. 
that he is no different than a beast so long as he is separated from God. And this is what we see in our culture today, don't we? That not only are we acting like animals, but that we are advocating an equality of animals to us. And we are working towards the kind of egalitarianism that makes us and the animals on an equal par. And in fact, in some places, we have more sympathy for the animals than we do for human beings, do we not? And and what all this is, is an indication of our spiritual depravity. When man who was made as the highest creature in the universe depicts himself as only being uh, on a par with animals, apes and donkeys and dogs and cats, and uh, even the smallest, minutest creature of which whole agencies will uh, blockade uh, large land masses to protect that animal, and yet they won't go into the slums and the ghetto neighborhoods to save eternity-bound souls. And what we have done is turn things upside down and we have said to the potter, you don't know what you're doing. We're going to have to take over because after all, there's a worm in that jungle or an owl in that jungle or a butterfly in that jungle. That if we don't save, he's going to go into extinction. And what a ludicrous assumption to be made on the part of finite mankind for to assert that you know for sure that that thing is going to be extinct means that you have omniscience. Isn't that radical? Lord, we just searched the world over and we've only seen 500 butterflies like this. Well, you have only seen 500 butterflies. God has multitudes of those very kinds of butterflies in hidden places all over the world. And whenever he wants to, he could have them to emerge and populate the land like a plague to demonstrate that we don't know anything. Our problem is not saving butterflies. Our problem is saving our own souls from the wrath of God. God knows how to take care of his creation. But the idea of standing is critical in the scriptures. And uh, the idea of, uh, of uh, being under restitution, verse 21, apokatastasis, means to be fully restored and beyond. And I use that last part, and beyond, because sometimes we make the faulty assumption that salvation is simply being restored to the first Adamic state. And that would be a fallacy. It would, actually, it would actually imply a deficiency in our understanding of theology. I won't, be on, I won't take this as an aside too much, but you and I are not trying to get back to Adam 1. We are not trying to get back to Adam 1. In fact, I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forwards. I am headed towards the last Adam, the second man from heaven, who is infinitely far more superb than the first Adam. We are not trying to get back to that antitype because in the antitype was a provision for sin. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? The death of of Christ would also be uh, uh, impugned if we were simply trying to get back to Adam 1. Because if we're simply getting back to Adam 1 with the possibility of sinning again, then what good was Christ's death? All it did was replace us back into that probational period wherein over time someone would mess up and we'd be in this predicament all over again. But the atonement of Jesus Christ perfects forever 
everyone who trusts in him because of the one who made the atonement. The last man from heaven was truly perfect. And when we are raised from the dead, we are positionally perfect. And the unfolding of that perfection is the restitution process that you and I are undergoing as true believers. So there were four R's that I talked about on Sunday under restitution. The first of which was restoration. You guys remember that? Restoration. In fact, that's where we were in Matthew chapter 11, verse 17. If you can pull that up and pull it back, where the disciples were really struggling with what is the nature and character of the restoration process. And this is going to infringe upon our study tonight, but I do want to lay this foundation as a premise. If you and I have a flawed uh, idea of, uh, of, of, of what God is doing to restore us, as I have just argued, that we're not going back to Eden. Oh, we're going towards the new heavens and the new earth where things are going to be glorified, not simply purged and made like they were before. But in Matthew's chapter um, 11, verse 17, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to the work of John the Baptist. If you recall that, where uh, Jesus says, truly, John shall restore all things or Elijah will restore all things. And we were able to make the connection, were we not, between Elijah in the Old Testament and John the Baptist in the New Testament, where Jesus said that he was, um, that he was, um, I think it's John, Matthew 17, see, Matthew 17, 11. And here's what Jesus is saying to the people that were asking the question. Verse 10, the disciples, his disciples asked him, saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said to him, Elias truly shall first come and do what? Restore all things. So restoration becomes a very important idea for Israel, and it should be also for you and me. We should understand that we are in a process of restoration. That we are not perfected yet, that we're on a journey towards that perfection, but we do want to understand the characteristic of it. So what Jesus says was, but I say unto you that Elias has already come, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they have desired. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer. So what happened to Elias? He was killed. Who was Elias? What text explicitly affirms that? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 17. So just go there just so you can have it for your understanding. It does, this too, infringes upon uh, biblical hermeneutics uh, for those who, uh, who, who have an aversion to allegory and have an aversion to uh, uh, spiritual interpretations of Scripture. Jesus used them frequently, and so did uh, the Apostle Paul as well as Peter, and the book of Revelation is filled with it. In the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 1, this is what the angel said to Zacharias concerning his son, John the Baptist. Now, I'm going to start at verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Who is the he? John the Baptist. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. This is a a consecration that John the Baptist was engaged in, like a Nazarite vow, vow. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's what? That's right. And so cognition is not a prerequisite for the reception of the Holy Ghost. Did you guys get that? Cognition is not a prerequisite for the reception of the Holy Spirit. 
He was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, meaning that the Holy Spirit is not bound by your essentia before he enters in and begins working in your life. Your essentia, that is your ascent, is merely an evidence that the Holy Ghost is there and that you welcome him. But his presence is a sovereign prerogative of choice. Y'all got that? A sovereign prerogative of choice. Now, here's what it goes on further to say. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned unto the Lord, their God. See verse 16. That is part of the restoration in the days of Jesus and John the Baptist. Quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. Because if we were to take our time and deal with the significance of soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, I really do want to get to the blessing tonight, and I will, but quite remarkable. And, and I think that every student of the word of God should, should really drink deeply of these reflections. What, what does it mean for God to restore us? And what is it that needs to be restored I think that that reflection is critical on our part because when you read the text, what John was doing was changing the hearts of parents towards children and children towards parents, which means for God, the family structure is a critical component to his glory being advanced in all of the world. That why would God go about saving people and leaving families broken? You understand the implications of that question? Why would God go about saving this person and that person and this person and that person and leave families broken? How would that be a restoration of sorts when if restoration is recovering and restoring that which is now marred and broken and distorted from its original design? Aren't we going to go back to some semblance of the previous and original design? Of course we are. So for you and me, the restoration process and the restitution process under which you and I are now going by the work of the Spirit of God would mean that in my mind, if before my conversion, before my salvation, I had no regard for the family, when once I was converted, my regard for family would rise exponentially because I'm learning to think God's thoughts after him. If before my conversion, I was so driven by my own existential autonomous agenda, which is perfectly fine because in my unsaved state, it's all about me. And you and I know that we have tore up a million things doing it all by ourselves and all for ourselves. But upon conversion, God is now going to have me to value what he values. And whereas I may have been so selfish that I spent little or no time regarding the welfare of the youth or the welfare of my own children or the welfare of, uh, of families in general. When once I am converted, I have now a level of God consciousness that causes me to regard the importance of healthy families. Especially according to this text. And there's another verse here that we have to look at. The critical restoration process is circumscribed around 
the fathers to the children according to the original Malachi text. Malachi chapter 4 says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Luke says, and many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the what? Lord their God. What does Luke do? He starts with the vertical relationship first and says that it, it begins to impact the horizontal relationship. You guys got that? That, that until there is a real reconnection between the unsaved person or unsaved family member or unsaved husband or unsaved wife, where brokenness is everywhere, until that vertical relationship is established, we're not going to see any success in the restoration of the families. So we read again in verse 17. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of what? There's your text. Explicit, isn't it? Who is this talking about? John the Baptist. He's taking on the alias of Elias, the spirit and power of Elias. Now watch this. To turn the hearts of the what? Fathers to the what? Now the fathers are going to be fathers, for we are not fathers if our hearts are not given to the children. Now you can be a sperm donor, but you're not a father until your hearts are committed to the downline. You guys understand that? And that's part of restoration. This is why I know so many men who, after conversion, start to enter into crisis around their children. They become, they become extremely concerned about their relationship with their children. Because they, see, when you get saved, here's what happens. You now have the lights cut on, and you get to look back at all the stuff you messed up. And you ask the question, what of all this can be fixed? What can I do about some of this? You know what that's called? Restitution. Remember Zacchaeus, when God called him and saved him, this day salvation is coming to your house. And on their way to the house, Zacchaeus was saying to the Lord, Lord, you know what I do. When I, when I get my money, I give it back to people. I make sure everybody is equally taken care of or equitably taken care of in terms of taxes. He's letting the Lord know that God was working on his heart all along so that he wasn't part of that crowd that was so oppressive in taxation that he had no heart for them. God was working on Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was glad to say these are the fruits and evidences of the grace of God in my life. For a tax collector, that's remarkable. Isn't that right? Wouldn't we all want saved tax collectors? Okay, so now here's what he says. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And here it is. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just in order to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now we can carry that Old Testament promise that started to be fulfilled in the days of John the Baptist and Christ and bring it to where we are today. For you and I are called to that same restoration process. Do you believe that? You and I are called to that same restoration process. And we're not talking the literal restoration of trying to fix things that are inextricably broken, but we are talking about the concept of trying to restore that which is God's original design. That's really the battle that we are fighting. In fact, on a theological level, go back with me now to Acts chapter 3 so we can begin to go uh, further into our text. Uh, on, a, uh, uh, on a worldview level, as I was saying to our ladies in, in biblical theology last night, um, our present world uh, manufactures um, forms of expressions 
lifestyles, if you will, worldviews, um, uh, modes of operation, uh, modus operandi. Our present world manufactures like a conveyor belt in a factory uh, different worldviews every time you turn around so that we have hundreds and hundreds of lifestyle expressions out there, cultural lifestyle expressions. We have multiple, multiple worldviews of which people are embracing and, and everybody is adopting one or the other. And these are kind of idolatrous schemes, right? We've been talking about this that people adopt and put on uh, in order to avoid the reality that they are in a crisis that they don't know God. And, and, and the Christian church's objective is to be able to reach those people, isn't it? We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe, worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510 510- 886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.